Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we have a gentleman from Ottawa, Scott Anan, and he's with a company called Guides.co, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But Scott, welcome, and tell me about your education. Uh, hi, Peter. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me here. Um, my education uh, was similar to um, most of the endeavors in my life in that it took a, a winding and and uh, unexpected all the unexpected turns. But uh, I grew up in a, a small town outside of Toronto called Oshawa, and. Uh, um, after uh, in high school, I decided that school wasn't for me, so I dropped out of high school and took a took a year off, and uh, and then came to the realization that school wasn't so bad, and um, I ended up kind of fast tracking the end of my high school and went to university. I, you know, I I, uh, I actually started my first business. I know this is a side, but to Peter, I started my first business when I was. Uh, when I was 15, and um, and so I always expected that I would I would go into to business, but I really wanted a classical education. So I actually went to university to study philosophy with an intention to do an MBA. Um, and finishing my uh, my philosophy uh, degree, I uh, instead decided that I had, had by that point I think three or four businesses under my belt, and decided instead that um, uh, computers were going to be the next big thing. And so I actually did. Uh, a, uh, um, a postgraduate degree in uh, computer science. And where did you go to school, your post-secondary? Uh, well, I did, uh, I went to University of Ottawa, which is uh, where, where I did uh, my uh, my first degree. And then afterwards, there was a program that, a uh, school that doesn't exist anymore, which is called ITI. And um, it was exclusively for postgraduate students and it was, a kind of a, a mix of theory and, and practical, uh, technical training. So Scott, you started out obviously as an entrepreneur and it's not just one business, you've done others. So take me on a tour of your work experience. Sure, yeah, so the, uh, the you know, when I was in high school, I, I did a term as a, uh, as a co-op student. Um, which was at an industrial supply company. It was selling uh, industrial cleaning supplies. Um, and they also sold uh, pool cleaning supplies. And there was a, a great mentor, a great uh, you know, small business owner, um, who uh, sent me for all kinds of training in order to learn a lot about the pool business and working uh, alongside him and, and, and others, learned how to do pool repair and maintenance and and so when the uh, when the summer came, I decided to start my own pool business. And so we did uh, minor pool repair and um, servicing and maintenance. And that was my uh, my first business. And actually, um, I, uh, I ended up leasing uh, a van in order to be able to do this, and had some magnetic signs for the the side of it. Uh, the problem was I. Uh, the business started a few weeks before my 16th birthday, so I actually had to have my mom drive me around in the van for a little while until I got my license and was able to, to drive myself. Um, uh, from there, I had a, a few other businesses, mostly in kind of the marketing and promotion uh, areas, and so um, did a lot of work with with small businesses, with um, you know some some um, entertainment uh, like concerts and, and, and other things. Um, you know, through through uh, through uh, university, 
Um, and then I actually did some work with my uh, with my father, who who worked uh, for the Toronto Star Corporation, and um, actually uh, started something called City Search in in Toronto. Uh, also, um, uh, also launched a Workopolis and, and worked there for a summer, and that was where I, I met a, um, a a great mentor. Um, who really talked to me about computers and, 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 and showed me kind of the, the light that that was a place where it would enable me to uh, couple my business skills with a, a um, you know, kind of a, a unique uh, attribute of, of understanding the technology and the business side. And so, um, you know, having done that, I, I uh, uh, went into the technical school and then worked for a startup in Toronto um, where we did um, uh, online booking of hotels, you know, before that was popular um, and worked there. And then I finally decided that I, I really needed some um, big business experience. You know, I didn't, uh, a lot of the work that I had been, been doing was with smaller businesses. And so I ended up um, working overseas in Paris, France uh, for a company called Lexmark, where uh, I was in their e-business group, as they called it in the day. And that was a fantastic experience, both from learning about big budgets and how corporations spend and how they make decisions, um, but also having a chance to work in multiple languages and multiple different currencies, um, you know, working on e-commerce globally um, during the kind of still earlier days of, of, of the internet. And, um, you know, from there went to the U.S. and then um, to their head office and did that internationally. And... Um, and then finally left there and started doing custom software development for Fortune 500 companies. So I, I definitely learned how those companies worked and it enabled me to understand what the pain points were um, for large businesses. And so um, we started developing, you know, um, kind of custom software in the sales and marketing space for uh, Procter & Gamble and Fidelity and some other large, large companies in the Midwest, um, which led to uh, being involved in product development and so started building um you know our own products and we've we've had several of them some of which were uh, very successful and some of which were less so um and uh and that's when i moved back to ottawa with my family and we got really involved in the in the startup community and um in my office in ottawa we hosted a lot of events uh you know and they were you know some of my principles were that um events should always be open and free um, and that they shouldn't be sponsored. They should always be um, held by the community. You know, it was really, a, you know, for us, by us kind of uh, approach. And, um, you know, it was a great, and during those early days, um, I was doing a lot of kind of community, um, you know, I, I say community, I mean startup community kind of work with a, a really close friend of mine, Scott Lake, who had just started this little business up the road from me called Shopify. And, um, and so, you know, we would, we would meet with all kinds of, uh, uh, tech entrepreneurs as well as people who wanted to get into that space and one of the challenges at the time though was that there was no funding available nobody there was no nobody writing checks for startups at that time and so we decided that we would start an accelerator before accelerators were everywhere and uh, so it was quite small we raised a little bit of money and we invested in a few companies and um, I'm proud to say that those companies have been very successful have gone on to um, you know, creates uh, many jobs in, in Ottawa and abroad um, and has really kind of fueled a lot of the, you know, kind of the growth and the, in the um, kind of the startup mentality in, in Ottawa and I think beyond as well. So somewhere along the line, you came up with the idea for guides.co. That's so right. 
Where did you get the name from? Well, uh, if, if, if uh, I know, I know you have Peter for for listeners. Uh, if you've ever started a business, and I find naming one of the hardest things. You know, it's um, and if you've you've done it a few times, um, you may not appreciate how many times you have to say the word of the name of your of your company and. And so originally, um, the way we started was was with kind of a market test. And so originally, it wasn't called guides. Uh, it was actually called Startup Plays. And the idea is it was a playbook for entrepreneurs um, written by other entrepreneurs. And so, um, you know, the, the concept was that entrepreneurs would share some of their recipes, you know, some of their blueprints of what they did well in one aspect of their business. Um, and we built up a large library of these, you know, of these plays, you know, um, and um, as an entrepreneur, you could go there and you say, oh, I'm learning how to raise money or how to get my first customer or build a product. And you would have these, um, you know, these, these recipes that were written by people who had the experience. So it wasn't just someone giving you advice. It was someone to say, well, here's how I did it. And, um, and it, was, it was very popular and a lot of people were using it. And, you know, I, I really thought this was, um, you know, the perfect startup for me because it blended you know, my, my um, love of education and I'd say non-traditional education and philosophy, um, as well as being able to help people. And, and I thought, you know, in, in today's world, a lot of us are like entrepreneurs, you know, um, part of the hard thing about starting a, a company is that you have to learn everything on the fly. There's no, you know, you, you got to figure accounting, you got to figure legal, you got to figure how to sell and, and you just have to learn by doing. And isn't that kind of how life is nowadays? You know, uh, the things are changing so quickly for all of us. And, you know, those, those could be life events, whether you're you know, getting married and having a baby, or they could be work events where you need to learn new technology or a market has completely changed or there could be a pandemic and something in your community. And I thought, you know, this, this idea of these playbooks um, could have a lot more merit far beyond startups and wouldn't it be great uh, if we could as as connected communities share our experiences in a way that made it easier for others to be able to see how somebody has done something and then you know either apply or you know just use that as a guide that can help you do it your own way and you know if we can build on top of those and people can add their experiences within here it could be a really rich way for us to be able to share experiences in the broader kind of a broader context and and so that's where guides came from is that we said you know this isn't just a playbook it's about how can we guide each other how can we you know take the experiences that we've had in certain circumstances and be able to make that available to anybody who may be facing some of the same challenges so how do you convince people who are concerned about copywriting their material? Yeah, you know it's a it's an interesting it's a, it's a it's a great question because you know coming from the tech space, um, you know which I think is true of a lot of stars, but especially in tech, um, there tends to be a really open and and kind of a sharing mentality, right? And 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 the reason for that is. Um, the biggest competitor for tech companies is um, getting people to understand what you're talking about and understand your product. And, you know, if I think back when, when I started, people didn't understand renting software, right? You used to buy a, 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 you know, a CD, you know, or, or a program and install it on a computer or a network, and that's how you'd use it. And then there was this little company called salesforce.com that said, no, that model is ridiculous, and instead you should just use a server in the cloud, and we'd do it that way. When salesforce.com started growing, that was a victory for all startups. 
right? Because that meant it was that much easier for the next company to be able to sell their software this way. And so in software, we've got this kind of common horizon where sharing em empowers all of us. And it's not about trying to hold on to and protect it. It's like, well, if, if this helps all the other startups make something more standardized, then we all win with this. And so, you know, coming from that mentality, copyright to me is such a foreign concept, right? Why would somebody want to hold on to an idea and protect it and, and, and own it? That's like smothering it. And it's, you know, like, you know, everything changes. And, you know, I understand works of art, you know, I understand protecting if you have a beautiful painting or a poetry or a short story. Um, but when it comes to, you know, nonfiction and practical advice, um, to me, it's, you know, I don't want to say kind of an old world kind of way of thinking, but I, I think that holds us back from the opportunities of building on top of each other's ideas. So um, I would say that, you know, with guides, we're really looking at the opposite end of that spectrum is how can we get more ideas, more accessible to more people and enable those ideas to flourish rather than just the people who, who were the initial kind of inspiration for them. So what are some of the organizations that use guides? Is it just small business? So, you know, when we when we launched, as I mentioned, kind of these recipe books and, you know, these guides as a publishing platform, um, we had companies starting to come to us and say, you know, I really love the platform as a way for us to be able to share knowledge like this, but we'd love to be able to use it within our company. And so, you know, like, like many, you know, businesses, a few people came and I said, well, I, that's not what we do. And then finally kind of realized, well, it sounds like that's what we should do. And so we actually enabled a version of guides where a company could use it just inside their, their business. And, um, we, we kind of test drove that with a number of different companies. Like you said, a lot of small businesses, a lot of franchises, which makes sense, right? Cause franchises, you know, that knowledge is kind of their, that playbook is, is, is how the franchises run. Um, and then with a, um, a small company called Philips, uh, Philips Medical in, this, in, in the U.S. and then worldwide, and they were using it as a way to share information inside Philips and their playbooks for doing professional services, as well as with their clients. Um, and so they took that model and turned it into one where not only would they use it internally, but they would use an aspect externally as well. And and today that's now what guides is, is that you can use these documents either privately for internal, um, publicly, um, in order to share outside um, publicly or between organizations. And that's really where I think is the big opportunity is actually inter-organizational uh, sharing. And so a long that's a long-winded uh, uh, answer to your question, but, now that we have this in place with this kind of mesh network, um, we have organizations from all over the world. I think we have 160,000 organizations that are on the platform. Um, we've got uh, the federal government. They actually publish the National Building Code on our website. It was the only time they've published off of their own uh, website as a way to get access to it. We have provincial and municipal uh, governments. We have a number of Fortune 500 companies. Um, uh, we've got uh, another great example of, with guides is the uh, there was some training material that was created for firefighters uh, here in Canada, and um, they published it on guides. And, and now we have, um, you know, I think it's I think it's over 350 fire departments around the world that now use guides as a way to access that training material, but also share some of their other operations plans. Um, 
you know, we've worked with the Red Cross and with other uh, international relief organizations to help with uh, post-disaster communication and rehabilitation in order to get, you know, information out to um, people that um, suffered a, a, you know, a, a large disaster. So it's really, a, you know, across the board, we're in a lot of different industries with a lot of different organizations of every size. Okay, so... Here's an interesting question. Three years from today, yep. are you going to still be running guides? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to create something new? Yeah, so our intention is to never sell guides. So, so, so um, what we've really also been working on is a sustainable model that protects the interest of the stakeholders. And for me, you know, um, I think that with a lot of businesses, it tends to look at, at, at shareholders being the primary uh, kind of stakeholder. But, you know, for me, it's, especially in this kind of a platform, everybody who touches guides is a stakeholder, and that includes the employees, uh, investors, and also the organizations that are using it. You know, we're building a knowledge base that um, can perpetually grow based on real-world experience. So our intention, and, and we have some... Um, things in place that make it extremely difficult for anybody to ever sell the platform and i think you know when we, when we talk about give back economy i think sustainability is a critical piece when we think about creating new ventures is how do we create something you know that can outlive that can that can hold on to the purpose and the and and the vision of why something was created you know but can outlive the initial members the initial investors you know and, and continue to serve that purpose so scott talk about the importance of partnerships and also revenue streams. Where do you get your money yeah. from? Yeah, so partnerships, I think, is, is um, you know, especially in this, you know, I, I often refer to, to guides as a mesh network, right? Because you have this inter-organizational um, work I mentioned the fire departments um you know they, they rely on each other to share to share knowledge and 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 you know I like to say that you know the, where where real opportunity exists where innovation exists is the space between you know organizations and so these partnerships enable you to explore the space that individually you can't explore and and we take that that notion of partnership uh, very seriously with everything that we do and every client you know who uses our platform we refer to them as partners, not as clients. And we tell them that the fees that they pay us are investments. They're investments in their people, their investments in knowledge, their investments on a platform that enables everybody to grow. And so, you know, partnership and investment, I think is really important for our platform. And so the way that we generate revenue is a few different ways. Um, you know, primarily it's working with large, uh, either national or international organizations who are trying to build you know, massive networks with a lot of different organizations, and we'll work with them on both a licensing but also on a services standpoint. Um, I, I don't see guides.co as just a technology, but I see it as a movement of how we can support organizations who are trying to work together in, in order to have new things emerge that are beneficial to everybody. Um, and so that's, you know, our, our, our primary revenue is actually partnerships in that sense. Um, and then secondly, there are upgrades that, that companies can do in order to, to provide real-time communication, you know, similar to Zoom, um, in order to, to extend the, the private component of their, of, of their spaces. So if they want to use it inside their companies, then there's an upgrade path. But anybody who uses it for public information is sharing publicly, it's free and will be free for, forever. Okay, so let's look at your family, 
Do they think you're nuts, or do you think they know what you're doing? <laughs> um, you know, I think they, they, I, I, I think and hope they think I'm nuts to a certain extent. Um, you know, I think that the, uh, you know, what, what, what we take for granted today was once considered fringe, right? And, um, and I think that's where, um, you know, I try to find comfort is on the fringe or what, what are the, the, the ideas that aren't quite there yet today. And so um, I've got a large family. I've got uh, a, a beautiful wife I've been married to for 20 years and four children. And so I've got two teenagers um, and, and two uh, younger, younger children. And I, and I look at today, you know, during the pandemic, especially, but also with social media, with some of the changes that are happening in, in policy that, um, trying to navigate being a teenager has got to be harder than running a startup. So, um, you know, they, they to me are also an inspiration and a way for me to, to look through different eyes or try to at least um, and understand, you know, how hard it is in order to be able to navigate change and, and to navigate, you know, the, the things that you can't control. And how can we with guides help people um, you know, approach change and approach complexity, not in a way that creates anxiety and, and, and a sense of loss, but instead, instead a sense of wonderment and, you know, ability to, to be able to collaborate with others. Well, there's been a lot of criticism recently in the news about social media. And you're not social media, or do you consider yourself part of the social media group? Um, you know, I think, so So I'd say yes and no. I mean, we're not social media, um, but we are networked, and so we are networking people. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of overlap in those in those two things. Um, I think the criticism is, um, uh, is multifaceted and warranted. Um, you know, it's hard to remember life before Facebook, and, you know, the, 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 the way that it's changed the, our ability to communicate, our ability to, to share in real time in order to feel connected to people with what's happening in their lives is, is phenomenal. And I don't know that we appreciate, though, you know, what kind of effects those can have. And I think that there's, there's two pieces. And one is, you know, again, talking about teenagers, there's, there's enough studies that show the link between social media and depression. I think, you know, there's the sense of, um, maybe not be able to appreciate a whole person if you're just taking in pictures of somebody or um, sharing only their best parts, right, and the best parts that they want to share. I think that that's causing a lot of issues. And I think that's exacerbated by some of the uh, poor social uh, uh, choices that companies are making when when you don't know what algorithms they're using as far as what's being um, put in front of us. Um, and also with some of the... the the uh, lack of data protection and, and sharing of, of, of information, then I think, you know, there, there is some real criticism. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard on one side to see our ability to push this, these horizons and these frontiers by the introduction of these massive networks um, and just realizing that we, we don't always know the implications, right, of, of making some of these large changes. And so, um, so I'd say that we're part of it and hopefully that we're learning from you know, some of the, the positive and also the negative things that these large social networks have done. My oldest son is in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So he, he wanted me to ask this question. How do you protect what you're doing so that somebody couldn't copy it or create the kind, same kind of thing? So, um, 
I mean, cybersecurity is, is, is such an, an important uh, space. I mean, you know, the, the, our, our data is, is uh, becoming increasingly uh, important in, in today's world when everything is digital. Um, as far as people copying kind of what we're building um, and trying to do the same thing, uh, I welcome it. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not running guides because I want to run guides or because I want to make a lot of money or I, I want to see more people sharing more information. And if somebody can do it in a way better than I can, or they can do it the same way and do it larger or just do it as well in, in some other place, then, you know, the goal and the purpose of what I'm trying to serve um, is going to be better served. So, um, you know, similar to kind of the copyright, I, you know, we're not, we're not looking at, you know, trying to save our IP or anything else. We're, we're trying to have an impact in the world and anybody who wants to chip in and, and, and do that, I say, great. So finally, Scott, what is your website and what, what can people learn from your website? Yeah, so the website is is at you know guides.co, um, and you know we're we're still learning our, ourselves, but what people can find you know in, in joining that is they can both create and join online uh, learning communities, you know, as I like to call them. Um, you know, from there they can they can publish and access thousands of different guides on topics that range from mental health to how to start a business. Um, they can connect with people who are genuinely interested in you know pushing the horizons of what we learn and i think they can learn maybe more about themselves and you know what they truly value and, and where they want to be spending their energy and so i'd encourage everyone to go to you know guides.co and to uh um, you know experience and help us build something that is is good for everybody thank you scott fascinating organization and great story on your part thank you peter